I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1999. The album, Strategic Grill Locations, the artist Mitch Hedberg. My guest this week is Adam Schatz. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I'm excited to have you here. Why don't you tell people a little bit, uh, we'll do this off the top, uh, what, uh, what you're here to promote, and then we'll get right into talking about Mitch Hedberg. Perfect. Yeah, because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here promoting my new record for my band Landlady. We've got a new album out. It's called Landlady, so it's easy to remember. Uh-huh. You can get it on Bandcamp, landlady.bandcamp.com, or you can stream it all the places you get your free music from. But it's everywhere, and it just came out, and I'm very, uh, very proud of it. So I'm making the rounds on the shows where I don't have to talk about that, but mm-hmm. I can still, like, <laughs> via a roundabout way, convince people that I am worthwhile. Fortunately, I am the last person to ask about music. I, you know, like any human being, I like music, um, but um, I can't speak on it for more than a matter of minutes unless it's comedy music. So I, you know, I would have been lost to talk about music you're, with you. You're one of those people, like, you like all music. You like all music. I like what I like, but then I don't have too much intelligent to say until I'm pressed, at which point, like, I'll usually come up with, like, some thought that I've had about it, but I can't, you know, I can only pull from my particular uh, reference points, I guess. I have more reference points in the world of comedy than I do in music, is is, is more what it is. I'll just be like, well, well we it, can, you know? We, yeah. We'll we'll put it to the test at the end. <laughs> okay. Maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a quick rapid fire music talk, and oh, I think I think I'll the end result will be I'll no I'll make it'll make you feel better about what you think your your fictional shortcomings are because I think <laughs> anyone can I think anyone can hang. Well, let's let's talk about strategic grill locations, which is his first like self released no label album. Um, uh, anybody who doesn't know Mitch Hedberg, we've talked about him only once or twice on the show before, I think. Um, I want to say maybe twice. And, you know, for those who don't know, I mean, if you want to condense who Mitch Hedberg is, is he's, uh, you know, uh, he, he's a one-liner comic, but it's, that is way too condensed for what he actually is. It's, it's more complex than that. It's uh, meta. It's uh, very strange. It is. Uh, it's so entirely hard to explain. I want to know first how you, how and when you heard this record. Let's see. So I was born. We'll start there. Mm-hmm. I was born in 1987. So when this came out, I was probably, you know, that would have made me. 12, 13. And so I bet I heard it not long after that. I was probably like 14, 15 when me and my friends started reciting these jokes. Sure. And it was, I'm trying to think about how I even found it. I know this stuff got around at like summer camp, but then we also, because I never had cable, but when I was at friends' houses with cable, I would watch Comedy Central and I would try to like see the premium blends and all of those things so i maybe saw him there but it was just like it's just tailor made for the way me and everyone my age was like consuming things which was reciting it to each other like you would almost you would get excited about something and half the reason you were excited was so you could go to school the next day and like you know fire back and forth your favorite 
things that happened on the simpsons the night before sure. and then that of ev- that evolved into mitch hedberg jokes that's this is this is exa- this is the crux of the show. You got to it quicker than normal because uh, I mm-hmm. always ask, "Hey, did you ever make friends over comedy?" And it's either people made friends over comedy, or it was a huge part of something that they did share with their friends. Because it is a it's a way to it is a it's a way to share, but it's also a way to act like you're funny if you're not funny yet. You know, oh, by yeah. reciting somebody else's stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like trying on your dad's clothes. It's like <laughs> it's like suits. You. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I like never. There was no version of me that was like I'm a comedy nerd kid listening to like comedy with my comedy friends. It was just like it was just as much a part of life as anything, as much as music. And it's like if you, you know, this record, the first Brian Regan record. I had a couple family friends, I guess, where they they would turn me on to stuff. I remember listening to the that like first big Brian Regan record with them and getting really excited about that because that was just such like a transformative thing and it's i mean that seems very much in the same era of this record because they're both like just like aggressively specific people where if you like read the joke out loud and you aren't them the joke almost like is guaranteed to not work oh yeah it's so dependent on like the voice for sure. These are jokes. These are the style of jokes that I have found myself writing and then realizing, like, I don't know how I would make. I know this is funny and it's so funny in my head, but I don't know if I could deliver it. Whereas if I handed a lot of these insane jokes that have they again seem simple, but the the sort of logical uh, the, the logical connections you're making uh, work better coming out of his mouth would have worked better coming out of his mouth somehow. Well, yeah. And what's so crazy about Mitch Hedberg and this record too, is it's like in my memory, cause there's so many of these jokes are like seared into my memory. And then re-listening to this album a few times, it's also so much of it totally went over my head or you just like grab onto the things you grab onto when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. But in my memory, these jokes are all like polished and perfect. And like the cadence is almost a little more refined than it actually is when you listen to it in depth it's like he's some of these are improvised some of these he screwed up the delivery and kept it on the album anyways and it's like that type of looseness makes it even more authentic i think oh yeah yeah i mean i, w- I was listening to it with my wife and uh you know her she's heard it before but like re-listening it to it with somebody who hasn't heard it in a long time does kind of uh, remind you. Well, first of all, I'm very jealous. I never got to see him live, so that's as close as I'm going to get. Is sitting in a room with my wife listening to this record, uh, mm-hmm. and and then too, yeah, it's this very. Oh man, there's there's part of me that I think originally might have been a little not suspicious, but like I wonder how much of these mistakes he plans. And I don't, I don't think it's that. I think it's very much, he went with the energy of the night, uh, and, uh, left any fuck ups on the, because, you know, if you work that into your act, if that's something you work into your act, uh, not to, to, uh, abuse an old phrase, but it's like jazz, you know, you, you go with it and see what happens next. He obviously has jokes ready to go, but he's also ready when they, when they fall. Yeah. I was thinking, <laughs> I weirdly thought about that like mis misreferenced analogy a mm-hmm. lot when mm-hmm. listening to this record for a few reasons. I mean, one obvious one, and this is why this album jumped out to me because I was like, I want to talk about 
you know, I didn't remember the name of this album. And like, I mean, Mitch, Mitch Hedberg jokes kind of go in the same like file cabinet in my brain as like, you know, Jack Handy deep thoughts where it's just, I mean, A, I was the same age when I was getting into all of it. And then B, it's like it, the context doesn't matter at all. They just kind of float around. I know like normally no relationship to what album, what thing comes from, except this is the record where he has a bass player. Mm -hmm. So there's like constant upright bass going under the whole thing. And it's such an amazing, it's such an amazing like anchoring tool but it did it made me think about how a lot of people will compare their comedy or any style of comedy to jazz and it's always for the wrong reasons uh-huh. and it's usually i just like i studied jazz mm-hmm. in college and so i'm not like i'm i'm there's no reason for me to put down anyone saying anything but it's always like anytime anyone references jazz in that way there's almost like this unspoken dumbing down Mm -hmm. of what they think jazz to them or like what they think improvisation means and it's like they're so but it might actually be true Mm -hmm. with mitch yeah 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 uh and uh i and if nothing else because it would be hard for me because obviously he's a stand-up he you 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 can't say well he's a stand-up who works in a little bit of improv because he doesn't really do crowd work which is as close as you get to improv when you're do when you're a stand-up uh somebody like jimmy pardo does plenty of that uh and i would call you know he has a skilled improv background so does like paul f Tompkins. very good both at 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 playing with the room they're in mitch hedberg does not seem to be in any way he he does two things at once he's uh, more than willing to comment on how the joke went and how the room is but he still does not let that affect how the rest of the set goes which is complicated most people would feel like oh i have to adapt with the room i don't think he does he just calls it out and keeps going yeah you also you see his brain work when you hear him say his jokes so it's like you can tell a lot of these jokes are his first instinct some of them are really some of them are really refined and there's an economy of words that is sort of incredible to think about and then other ones you're like this is exact he thought of something to think about Mm-hmm. He thought of it in exactly this way the very first time, and then that's what comes out of his mouth. There's only one there's one joke on the album that almost seems like it was improvised only because it's such a clean transition from when he it sounds like he hits his mouth on the microphone because mm-hmm. he says he injures his he injured his teeth recording the CD, which I like that we're recording. Yeah. For your uh, comedy on vinyl podcast, this is like such a time-stamped CD. Yeah. The like whole first track is all just jokes about how he's recording a CD, and it's very CD-centric. Mm-hmm. But he hits his he hits his mouth on the microphone. He says, "I you know injured my teeth on the microphone," and then goes like very quickly into a joke about teeth, which mm-hmm. I don't think which like a was it was like more out there than funny, which makes it really funny. But mm-hmm. I I would kind of believe. Because the joke is that he he wished all his teeth were just one big tooth. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then if it fell out, he'd be in trouble. Uh, so that's, I mean, you know, it'd be, it's, it's fun to listen to it and just imagine if it was improvised or not. It doesn't matter. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I also feel like I should point out, uh, you do make a very good point. This this was a CD for ver- until five years ago when they finally released all of his stuff on vinyl, which is 
the, the, the time when I finally got to justify talking about him. Although I broke the rules a few times before that, but you know, now I have to stick exclusively to vinyl, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, do you have any of these on vinyl? How do you, how did you get these as a kid? And then how do you have them now? I must have, I don't think I bought any of them. Mm-hmm. So I it must have all been Napster, Kazaa, any any version of that. Because mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, which may which might make sense that like maybe I haven't listened to this straight through until now. Maybe I downloaded most of it in piecemeal, but could have missed a few of the things that I totally forgot. Um, yeah. But I don't think I went to the store and bought it. That's my hunch. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, uh, yeah, yeah. No, at the same time I was, that was my way of, cause I was in college when this came out or just about to go into college. And, uh, I was also doing the same thing because college is expensive. So it was, uh, that's how I discovered like a lot of new comedy and realized, you know, there's, there's some shit out there that uh, I would never have. <laughs> Thanks Napster. Thanks. Uh, what's, yeah. what's his name who started it? I mean, it, it, it was, uh, I, I get it. I'm fully aware that, uh, I'd like artists to get paid too, but, uh, you know, it did help me discover a lot of people I wouldn't have discovered otherwise. It's not Napster's fault. It was going to happen one way or another. Right. And then the, you know, those, we know, we know who's to blame, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, what is interesting about it is it's, there's so many, I'm sure what kept me from actually like buying a lot of comedy records is there's kind of this fear of re-listenability that doesn't always come with it where mm-hmm. some things, if it's not already a classic to you, it's maybe only good for the first listener to, and then kind of the appeal wears off, but it's, it's almost the opposite with Hedberg where it's just like you are excited to hear it again and again and again and to show it to other people and sort of gauge their reaction and it's just you can really live in these jokes mm-hmm. i wasn't sure yeah i was honestly again I, I i knew the jokes would work but i'm like okay is this i hasten to call it a character but is his personality gonna still jibe with like what i find funny i assumed it would but i'm like there's a chance i might this this might not work for me it's been a few years since i've listened to him but no, instantly I was immediately charmed all over again because I'd forgotten how much. First of all, if you start off your your CD talking about how you're recording a CD and you just don't stop talking about that for a couple of minutes, <laughs> no, and that, that had oh, to have been made up, I, right? It feels it does feels feel like he was he was winging it for that, and then like. Uh, I mean, I think it, within the first two tracks, he doesn't stop talking about the CD. He dressed up for the CD. There's all these yeah. <laughs> dumb, uh, again, I, I, I would call them all dumb jokes. They're all delightful, except for the ones that are, I think are so insane that I, I hasten because I usually use dumb as a compliment, but there's yes. one, there's a, well, there's a million of these, but there are some that have these logical sideways steps where usually I think, especially if you write comedy or perform comedy, you can see how it's made and it's okay. It doesn't, it shouldn't ruin it for you. Knowing how something's made shouldn't ruin it for you. If that was the case, there would be no musicians. They, they wouldn't be listening to music. Sure. Same as with co- comedians, I think. But there are parts where it's like, I'm, I almost know how you got there. And I wish, I wish you were around for a million reasons, Mitch Hedberg, but I want to ask how you got to I really blah, blah, blah to I rarely drive steamboats, dad. Did it start out... <laughs> 
he actually made this mistake or goes with it. I love it. I love that. I've had thoughts, comedy thoughts where I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if I like, you know, mix these two words up. So I do want to know if he had that same kind of brain or if he really fucked up something in life and went with it as a joke in his head. It's so good. Walk, walk through the whole joke. What is the, uh, yeah, he says, I, I was writing a letter to my dad and says, I really, I can't remember. Like I really enjoy being here or something, but I accidentally wrote, I rarely. So I finished it. I rarely drive steamboats, dad. There's a lot of shit you don't know about me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So again, I can't do it justice and I'm not going to do the character because I can't do that justice, uh, either, but holy shit. That's there's, a, a huge part of that is delivery, yes, but it that joke is not uh, obvious A to B. Uh, it's not it's not something that that again also as you say does not work on paper. I don't think. No, no, that's amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Did you? Is I, I'm going to assume this is a this was a re-listen to you as a kid too. Like if you're sharing it with your friends, you must have. Like, yeah, of, of yeah. course. I mean, and it's like, yeah, you really couldn't because there's also a great feeling. And I mean, I had this with music, too, for sure, where it's like I I didn't run with like an especially cool crowd, which meant that I could often be the one to like show my friends cool things mm-hmm. because everyone wasn't competing to discover the cool things. It was like that was. I got more of a kick out of that. And so, it, I mean, for music, definitely just trying to find new records that I thought were really cool and exciting and share that with people for the first time. And you made people mix CDs for that sure. exact reason. And then, yeah, same with comedy. It's like if you found someone who didn't know about this guy, you're like, okay, get ready to have your like life changed forever because we're going to sit here and we're going to just listen to these jokes and it's going to be it's going to be so wonderful and i may or may not stare at you awkwardly while i wait to see if you laugh at the part i expect you're going to laugh at yes Uh, about yeah the part about the uh the the donut receipt (laughs) i think about that one a lot i feel like that i don't know why yeah because well because it's real that's another thing it's like there's you know if i'm like 14 and this is the same with like so many things you consume as a kid there's like the stuff you relate to and then there's a bunch of things that actually aren't made for you at all because you don't have the life to register it yet so it's like any i think about that with roommates a -hmm. lot and any sort of like you know any tv show we would watch as kids that had roommates because it's like when you, when you're growing up, you're just like, especially if you didn't grow up in a city, which I didn't. You're just like, well, what is that? How does that happen? <laughs> like, right. and so you know, you watch Friends. You're like, okay, I'm gonna watch this, but it's like feels like it watching aliens on another planet, almost. <laughs> and that's you know, similarly a joke about like saving a receipt. I can like get why that's funny as a kid, but like the part of a joke I'm laughing about is the donut part and not the file cabinet part. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's then, fair. That's I hadn't thought about it that way. I like that. But now I have both. I mean, yeah, when you grow <laughs> up, you can you still eat donuts, but then you also <laughs> own a own a file cabinet. <laughs> there are many quotes that I, I really need to pull specifically from this episode uh, so far, including yep. that one. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I yeah. Here's the problem: is I sat there listening to it. I'm like, all right, how am I going to take notes on a joke CD on a CD that is let? It is observational, no doubt, but it is not a story CD, not a character CD. So all I ha- I did is sat there and just wrote down the jokes as as verbatim as I possibly could, knowing full well we can't just sit here and read all of the jokes. But although if I hadn't, I wouldn't have wouldn't have remembered uh, all the wording of the uh, I rarely drive steamboats one. But it, yeah, it's it's this a hard thing to take notes on because it is a it it's one of those we talk a lot on on here about active listening versus uh, passive listening. Like there are some sketch and definitely music comedy albums where you can sort of passively listen, especially if you've heard it a million times. Uh, and sometimes stand up falls into that where you're used to it. But for me, for Mitch, I've still heard it a million times, but I feel like I have to actively listen because. Uh, the pace is fast. The pace changes. The rhythm changes. None of it is regular. None of it is even paced. And I feel like because of that, he demands you listen. Yeah. And you also inevitably miss a bunch of it. Oh, yeah. when, you know, I've been listening to it a bunch while just driving recently. And then you kind of realize, oh, I like zoned out for two minutes and I missed a lot of things yeah and some of it could have been totally worthless and then but like buried in things that sound like a throwaway is one really funny thing that is you know could have only happened that way that one time yeah which i think makes the like bringing a bass player with you (laughs) even more of a like incredible thing because you know chuck wasn't you know chuck's just messing around so even if they go on tour Mm -hmm. he's playing different stuff underneath mitch's jokes every single night yeah. which means you know it means it's a totally different experience every single time which is you know comedies like that way in general because it's depending on the room and the mood and who knows what else but i think especially with with mitch hedberg's but i mean even though you can sort of tell how he's the type of comic like steve martin where eventually people would want to just come and hear the hits because you don't mind hearing it again but there's still something kind of authentic and fresh every time. I was as like listening and writing anything down, I was sort of most interested in just like the two categories of which jokes I completely remembered and was excited to hear again. And then which ones I had no memory of, or that, you know, in that same category are the ones that like, I actually think are so much funnier now. And I think the one, the like, quintessential ones as a kid the the slamming a tent flap <laughs> joke was like you just couldn't think of anything funnier than that zip. but uh you, yeah zip you. <laughs> and that's the thing too it's like you mention these to anyone and they can kind of finish it for you uh-huh, uh-huh. which i which i really like and that's that's even more true about the pringles one and as we get to the end of the album that's sort of where it's and he even says he's like within the structure of another joke on this album he's like as a comedian you're supposed to start strong and end strong and then that is like what he does the last like the before like the final hail mary stretch of jokes there's maybe like eight minutes of things that barely work and then he comes then he comes at you with the pringles joke which you could put on a shirt because it's so short yeah but uh yeah fuck it cut them up that's like anyone <laughs> anyone can say that and you'll know what you'll know what they're talking about he's yeah uh, he's also a guy i feel like character wise you know uh, uh 
if I listen to Steve Martin, any Steve Martin record, I feel like after I feel like I could have like roughly done an impression of, hey, this is what Steve Martin does. This is how he does comedy. Mitch Hedberg, like I always think I've got it in my head and I'm like, I, I know his pa- his his, you know, his general like patterns and how his voice sounds and I've watched him perform and obviously those all looking down and behind sunglasses. But I honestly forget, and I I love a good swear word in comedy. I forgot how much he swears because it never, it doesn't play in. Ter- it just doesn't affect me in the same way. It's just there and part of him. I had entirely forgotten that that's part of his act. And I, you know, I last heard him a few years ago. Yeah, it's not in every punchline, but that's Mm-mm. the that's the famous one. And he, his delivery on that was so different than I, it is in my memory. In my memory, I kind of slow that one way down and mm-hmm. sort of put it at the same cadence as his other jokes. But if you re-listen to the Pringles joke, the fuck it cut it up is like pretty fast. He almost like steamrolls through it and then just to get to the applause break because he knows it's going to be such a big hit. And who walks up in an airport but Sammy Davis Jr.? She discovered Matt Groening. Without your mom, we might not have had The Simpsons. Yeah, and uh, I have an Elton John story. You know who noticed that also was Jonathan Winters. Your dad was the first band I dropped acid to. There was Buddy Hackett, Joey Bishop, and Jerry Vale, and Corbett Monica. And those are the ones that that stick out in my Mm -hmm. mind. So, of course, I watched Mork and Mindy. He comes over, Mork's here, Mork's here, oh my God. And he was hysterical. You're listening to Rarefied Air. Yeah, and then the, uh, so there's like those versions of it, but then the, and super early he does the, I haven't slept for 10 days because that would be too long joke. And that's like, I'm reading a Marx Brothers book right now. And that's like, a I mean, that's basic Groucho. And it's Mm -hmm. like still, it, he's, he like doesn't live in that same world of wordplay all the mm-hmm. time, but he like kind of flexes every so often to prove that like he can do it if you yeah. want him to. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. That's that's the one thing that this this whole album is like. It, it is. It would be an amazing if he'd have wanted to go just into because he talks about writing for TV and stuff. If he'd have wanted to go just into writing for TV, this record is a resume. It would be for me. If you gave this to me and I listened to it, I would hire you immediately if I had a show going. You know, this is... Yeah. It is... Uh, it's a very good point. It's every different... It is every different type of possible joke format, like simple joke format. And there are some stories, of course, but they're short, quick bursts. None of them, because he's not a character guy, none of them are, are long, drawn-out stories. Um, although, boy, oh, boy, wouldn't that be interesting. I would love to hear that from him. I know. It's uh it is it is sad. It is sad that he is dead. It is a real drag. Do you did you pick up his other albums after this one or were were you getting them concurrently since again you're getting them online? When I was doing the research into this, I kind of couldn't believe how few there were. Yeah. So it's like there's really only two, right? Right. It's like cuz I don't I definitely didn't listen to the one that came out after he died. Uh-huh, right. So there's really only two. Yeah. And I def and I definitely listen to those. I listen to them all the time cuz you know, you remember you remember the jokes that that aren't on this one too. But I yeah. feel this one really uh Yeah, it's just it's crazy how much these jokes really sit with you. How much do you know about, and no pressure here, but uh, again, I mean, you did bring up 
the bass playing. How much do you know about Chuck Savage? I know nothing about him. I don't know his music history. Have I you ever in... sat and listened to this just for the music? <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's not the point. The point is to kind of be out of the way and like, you know, secretly drive the energy a little bit. I looked him up because I was like, I wonder who he is. And he's a bass player in Texas. And this record was recorded in Texas, which means he might have just called him that day. It wouldn't like not put it past him to be like, well, I'm like, should probably level this up a little bit. It might as well, might as well add one new, one new element into the situation. Yeah. I would like to, well, I'm going to have to dig in. I'd like to know how much he knew. I, I want to know his story. Now, now I'm going to have to dig into Chuck Savage's story, but it's going to be again, another musician. So I'm going to have to make sure we don't talk music. Cause again, this is just a bad idea. Do you, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that can be over, overthought. And it's something that I, I bring up and then realize, you know, I might call something musical. I might talk about the flow of something. Um, I know the comedic flow of, of, of things. Uh, it's common knowledge that people like Mel Brooks used to be a drummer. Mel, Mel Brooks was a musician before he was a comedian, or at the very least used a lot of his knowledge of musical rhythms, uh, in his comedy. Is it something you think about? Do you ever think about the musicality of comedy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's cadence, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you can even, even rather than, you know, trying to put analogies on it, there is also just like the shared language between these things. And so it's a contour thing. It's a motion thing. It's a rhythmic thing. And yeah, I mean, with everyone we've talked to, you could, you could even, you know, you could give this to a drummer and have him chart out the way Groucho talks, the way Hedberg talks and it like makes a massive impact on how you perceive them and just the feeling it gives you. And there's no version of it where at the end of it, you're like, and that's why it's good, but you can definitely, it becomes an inextricable part of why they're singular, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and it's, yeah, I don't know. It's you, I, I think you can't help but hear them that way because you just can't believe which words are being stretched out and where there are pauses and you can, yeah, you can really tell where it's on purpose. And then when it's not on purpose, you can tell where it came from, um, yeah. which I think is also then it's worth mentioning that, you know, he, he doesn't talk like this all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's like, I think one, comedy central special where he talked quote unquote normal right but at some point he figured out that this was the cadence and persona that delivered the material the best he very well may have become that after mm -hmm. kind of after kind of living in it but it's uh yeah i don't know i think it's not it's not that different from what jim gaffigan does or from what a lot of people do where it's sort of like magnetized blown up versions of themselves but it is kind of crazy to think about as soon as you see any video of mitch not talking like that it's a real mindfuck yeah i know because even the times he was ever cast as a part in something it was usually something that went with how he already looked and how people expected him to talk yeah i watched a, that 70s show clip with him and it's like i mean a he's really good in it it's mm -hmm. super funny and then b it's like yeah just b just be you yeah. just be you will write the lines knowing that you will be the one saying them and it yeah it worked great 
I often wonder the same, like if the same, it may not be, but I, and I didn't, I, I had Tommy Chong on the show and didn't ever think to ask him that, but I, I want to know how much of that was always him or how much of it he's leaned into since like that character was what made them the most money, you know? Oh, and it was, I mean, yeah. I'd be afraid to answer that question. I know. If, cause maybe he's not thinking about it. He probably <laughs> it's like you, yeah. You'd become you become who you become and you try not to examine how you became that way unless you're trying to undo some damage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say he did lose his keys in the middle of our interview and it was a sure. fun interview and it was one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. You can't pay for that. No. <laughs> if you make a, if you make a, you know, vision board of what, what happens when you talk to Tommy Chong, you're like, Oh, please lose your keys. Please, please lose something. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's one. There are there are just there are some acts who like who become so much their character and so much a part of it. And you know, I don't care why they do it as long as the the person they become isn't a monster. But it is it is curious. It is very curious to me because I've not I've not had the opportunity to um, escape into a creation of my own. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I when I'm on stage, I'll you know I tend to do a lot of banter. And I kind of, there is a, there's kind of a set cadence I've fallen into also, which is mm-hmm. pretty sl- like, I'll leave a lot of space between things because you kind of realize people will stick with you through the space. Mm-hmm. And it like either A, lets you think of something funny to say if you're making it up or B, it's just like a, it's a super exciting and interesting tool just to like control space and time in that way completely with like how fast you're speaking and what you're you know the the speed you choose to move at sets the tone for how everyone else in the room is moving and i think that can be easily perceived when you're you know checking out comics who have sort of a masterful control yeah of of cadence and of of everything like that it's interesting that it is a gauge and a tool uh, for control at the same time. It, yeah. and, and knowing how to balance those is uh, tricky, but fun. Definitely. Yeah, the comparing this record to those Steve Martin records, what's interesting is when I listen to the big Steve Martin records, you can, I mean, there's sometimes like two minutes of laughing where you know he's doing something physical Oh yeah. on oh, yeah. stage, and you're like, this is not translating to the recorded medium and i've since like watched a bunch of footage of that and some you know from those time periods and him doing those jokes and you're like man even him drinking water is like the funniest thing (laughs) the funniest weirdest calculated choice of like when i drink water i'm going to wrap my entire mouth around the lip of this glass but what is special i think about this record strategic grill locations is that um even though he is a like pretty funny looking guy and has his own physicality you i think you miss nothing by just listening to it which is the testament of like a really great comedy record that's no that's that's a huge thing and we talk about that on on the steve martin records you know early on especially i mean i've I've talked most of them to death but there's always like, okay, I don't know what the hell he was doing here. I'll bet it was a funny bit. As a kid, I went along with it. I'm like, I'll bet that's hilarious. And I can still find it as an adult. I'm like, okay, good, fine. But I do, as somebody who loves comedy records as much as I do, 
you do it, it needs to play it needs to all play on the record and if you watch it and there's extra great but it can't depend on that I, it's always so weird to me when a record has a, just a ton of I, it always throws me it always throws me when there's a laugh that I, that is off of a look that I can't be a part of sure it's, but, it's you know. huge <laughs> he's uh, yeah because you don't need to see him looking down at his shoes but it's a fun little addition once you you know finally do actually see it of course yeah it makes it I mean it makes a funnier thing funnier did Mitch make you seek out other stand-ups yeah he must have I mean there's I I really can't like go back to because this stuff was all kind of swinging down at the same time and I was pretty undiscerning but mm-hmm. it was like I think I think Comedy Central was a huge part of it which is still it's funny to think about because I didn't have a way to watch it but i must have it just made i mean yeah cable was such a valuable asset that my friends had that i didn't have yeah so i would try to embrace it any chance i got but i mean yeah that brian regan record was so important and exciting the gaffigan record and even the like you know when pablo francisco was like the biggest <laughs> comic on the planet for those years that was like i mean when you're a kid there's nothing funnier to you and then it, I mean, you definitely, like, you have to go from Mitch to Stephen Wright in one way or another. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't know if it was one-to-one because it's, again, when you're young, you don't think about influences. That's truly like, you could care less. <laughs> yeah. So, which I think is a nice thing because then you're not overthinking anything. But, but I certainly listened to his records too. Um. Then I didn't get into, yeah, I mean, I I listened to all the George Carlin records. I don't think I got into Steve Martin really until college. I wasn't mm-hmm. like, I wasn't ready to like fully fall in love with it. Sure. That's fair. Uh, it, it, it has to hit you at just the right time. College age is probably the perfect age. Um, although I really do, uh, I'm jealous of you discovering Mitch at the age I discovered, you know, like Cheech and Chong and all this other shit. Um, that's a perfect time. That is a perfect time to discover Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's definitely, yeah, he's that from my generation. It's like everyone needs a version of Cheech and Chong, and that's Mm -hmm. what he was, and I don't know who was the version who came after him, but I'm sure. Yeah, this is the thing. I'm sure they exist. Growing up in a small town, as I also did, uh, for me, it was upstate New York. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts. So it's Newton, not a small not a small town right outside of Boston, but definitely like suburbia. Sure. Yeah. So I mean I it's funny because Cheech and Chong being <laughs> coming along, you know, it was my parents' thing. And uh yes. it was handed down to me. So and we didn't just we were again five years away from the fucking internet existing. So once that happened, that's when it blew up. And it's weird then that like because of because of the internet, this gap shrinks immediately. Whereas you sure. and I probably discovered Hedberg at the same time, despite our age difference. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's massive. Do you, are you, okay. There's people like to, there's a very common, like all musicians want to be comedians. All comedians want to be musicians. Have you ever cared to try straight stand up comedy? Is that a thing you've tried? I've never gotten up and done it. Mm-hmm. I am often very silly on 
microphone mm-hmm. when I'm on stage or doing something with someone else. And so there's a version, but it's, it, it seems like such a brutal lifestyle mm-hmm. and it's like once I, once I've, you know, I've been doing music my whole life and that's with other people. So the second you even think for a second about like, Oh, well, this other thing could be cool. Your brain is just like, how, how could it be cool? Even in like the mm. most successful version of it, you're like alone and repeating yourself <laughs> every single night. Um, but I have, so I've sort of have found my ways into comedy in other ways, but stand up was never something that I felt remotely attracted to. I don't think, yeah. um, I think a friend of mine in college did a show where he would have people who don't do stand-up do stand-up <laughs> and just like come and do like five minutes. And I would, I think one time I told him I wanted to do it and then I backed out, <laughs> which is pretty classic. Um, would have been me. Yes. But I will, in terms of the musical comedy thing, like you were talking about, before and that kind of being your reference i will let you in on a a a portal into my past which is for so year i'm in college it's 2008 and i sort of i've so i've been in new york a couple years at nyu and i had a band with some older folks who had graduated from columbia and they it was sort of a concept record space opera thing and i was just excited to be hanging out with people who are older than me and one of the dudes who was kind of leading that situation was a great musician and songwriter and played theremin and he and i were talking about how we wanted to do another project together that had like way less emotional investment we're both just like tired of writing songs about our feelings and begging, begging people to care about them, which now of course is all I'm doing again. But (laughs) back then we had also, you know, 2008, we had both been watching a lot of the then popular television show lost. Sure. And so what we did was we were like, all right, what if we, uh, what if we made a band that was sort of designed to, grab an already existing fan base and so season four of lost was about to premiere and we just came up with this concept it happened organically and i don't know how because it sounds like the most contrived thing in the world but it really just (laughs) somehow in conversation we were like yeah we should do this okay that's a great idea and i'm like you know 19 and he's 24 and who knows why we did it but we got together we watched the premiere of season four of lost and then we the next day wrote and recorded a song that recapped that episode (laughs) and it was we like tried to fill it with as many references to the episode as possible we made it aggressively rhyme and we would record it at a slower speed so that when we pitched it up our voices would be like a little bit higher and just kind of add to the psychosis of that and then we put it on MySpace and we called our band previously on Lost. And we did that for every episode of season four. And it was just like a consistent thing. And it was the most press I've ever gotten uh-huh. and ever will get for anything. And because people just latched on and had 
a lot of fun doing it. And so that was a success in our minds. And then we started doing live shows. We put together like a seven piece band and we would crash in an airplane at the beginning of every show that we would make out of cardboard. And we would give everyone lays as they came into the venue because the <laughs> show was filmed in Hawaii, even sure. though it didn't take place <laughs> in Hawaii. And it, and we would do these big premiere and finale shows at the Bell House in Brooklyn, which was like, hadn't, when we started doing it, they were actually still mostly trying to be a music venue. And then since then really became like a primarily comedy venue. But we would, you know, for the premiere of, season five and six and the finales we would play and it would sell out there would be like 400 people and then we would all watch the episode together in a room mm -hmm. which was sort of this incredible like campy exciting experience and everyone would dress up but then the finale was such a bummer everyone just kind of put their heads down and walked out at the very end which was a good end to the whole thing because it was like two years of my life <laughs> where that was just what we became known for but the second to last episode we did we played a show at the knitting factory in brooklyn and carlton cues and damon lundeloff came with some of the cast and it was oh a whole God. it was like a really wonderful experience and it was like that stuff is you know it's on spotify and if you really want to enjoy it if you if you have no inkling do not listen to it but if you really if you really want to enjoy it you would watch an episode and then listen to the corresponding song and that's what we did but i'm going to keep blabbing because it all relates super cleanly into what we're talking about which is at some point during that band's existence we got reached out to by the millennium stage at the kennedy center in washington dc the millennium stage is this like stage in the hall of nations it's just like in the hallway at the kennedy center and they do free shows every day at 6 p.m and i've since played there with a bunch of different bands and it's always a it's always fine at 6 p.m it's usually light outside and everyone's sitting down but it's usually pretty packed because people come because it's a free show sure and the booker reached out to us because that night was the mark twain award ceremony and they were honoring george carlin who had just died and so they asked if we would be the band in the hallway that night because they wanted to do something that was relatively comedic and we said yes and then we went above and beyond not requested to do it and mm -hmm. since you know no one uh <laughs> no one's really cared but jeff and i wrote we took a George Carlin joke and we set it to music <laughs> and it was a joke of his at the end of one of his records called things to watch out for. Mm -hmm. And it's such an incredible joke because it, I mean, it's just like classic George Carlin because it's, um, it is just a list. It's one of these things where like, sure. he's ultimately just showing off that he wrote a list and then memorized this <laughs> list and it's just things to watch out for when you leave the show that night. And it's just him listing every horrible thing in the world. And I will, I'll send you the song oh God, so you yes, can have please. it. Cause, cause we, it's really stupid, uh -huh. but then we had to, so we set it to music and then we had to memorize it. And I just have this vivid memory of Jeff and I going to another show that we were playing in Providence, Rhode Island. And so it was like, three and a half hours there three and a half hours back to new york and just us like 
repeating this over and over and over again, <laughs> oh trying to remember God. this big list of absolutely terrible things like, you know, quicksand and body lice and evil spirits and <laughs> gridlock, acid rain, continental drift, labor violence, flash floods, rabies, torture. I still have most of it in there <laughs> because of how we committed to doing that. Of course. That's fucking phenomenal. You know, that that makes me think I've I've often I've talked to a few different people about this and it's something I still want to do. Um, and it is uh, it is it's more of it is actually 100 percent a show off idea. But I want to do a show where comedians cover other comedians where the, that is acknowledged from the top that these are stolen jokes. Uh, Greg Fitzsimmons has uh, for a little while right after all the Cosby uh, accusations came out he was stealing Cosby's material because he's like no fuck it I'm just gonna reclaim it because uh, a non-monster gets to tell these now that's kind of that's kind of amazing it's beautiful and I've wanted to do you know I would do something very uh, basic as the kids say I would probably do uh, seven words that can't say on television but I love the idea I love the idea of setting com a comedy bit to music um even as a, a full, I would love to see that as a full project, but I, I can't wait to hear this song. It is really dumb. Um, and yeah. even when, yeah, I, my, yeah, my, my partner in the band had made a video for it. So I'll send that to you. It's, uh, yeah, I, this, and then we, you know, we stopped, we stopped doing it in 2010 or whenever the show ended, which if the show had ended in a different way, if it was like a really positively received finale, we the band would probably still be like playing conventions. Sure. And things. So ultimately, it's, I think, a great thing that it ended the way it did, though at mm -hmm. the same time, I think we were hoping we would at least lead to some sort of like a film or TV music work, which it, of, of course. course, did not because I'm talking to you rather than... <laughs> on my boat <laughs> <laughs> um okay so uh i want you to recommend uh this record to people uh tell tell people if they don't maybe they don't know who uh you know mitch hedberg is tell them why to give this a listen oh it's i mean you can needle drop anywhere on the album and not know who he is or why he is and you can still think it's the funniest thing you've ever heard. And even though you can't do the jokes justice, reciting them for someone else, it's actually, I think you have one of the higher likelihoods of succeeding in telling his jokes to someone else than you would with a lot of other comedians. Perfect. I love it. Uh, and uh, tell people where they can find uh, your new record or, or find you online in general. Oh, Adam. My name's Adam Schatz. It's S-C-H-A-T-Z. And that, uh, you know, Landlady is the music I make. And you can find that anywhere you get your music under Landlady. We are the only band called Landlady, but there's also a song called Landlady by Fish. There's a song by U2 called Landlady. There's a Raw Doll short story called The Landlady. And I think you should just check all of it out. <laughs> And then, you know, I think you'll find ours is still the best. <laughs> so that'll be really nice. Um, I've also done a bunch of writing for this uh, website called The Talk House. And there's a bunch of essays up there. And if you go to thetalkhouse.com, is it The Talk House or talkhouse.com? I'll find out. I think maybe it's talkhouse.com. Yeah. Talkhouse.com, and you searched my name, you can find a bunch of things I've written, but actually a few of them are humor pieces, and they're usually through the lens of 
music still, but my most recent one is about how to write your own bio. And I'm pretty proud of that. But there's a, you know, there's a good one where I watch the Timbaland masterclass and break that down. You, uh, I, I think you'll enjoy it. I don't know about your, your listeners, but you know, now I'm just talking to you, Jason. <laughs> Um, well, that's, uh, first of all, thank you for doing the show. I appreciate it. People should go. Thank you for having me. Check out your stuff. Um, and I will just tell everybody, just go to stolendress.com. That is where all of the other podcasts are. We've just hit 10 years for this show. Um, so you guys, there's 10 years of stuff you guys can listen to. There's, uh, over a thousand episodes. I've produced about 800 of those. So give those a listen guys. Um, including, uh, an upcoming video from, the archive for my comedy group. Uh, Check that out. Um, Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!